Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 102. I'm Dave, but um, there's there's no Ashley. Ashley is, uh, in fact, in Eugene, Oregon. But um, I, but I do have her here. I have She'll be on in a minute, and this will feel pretty familiar if you know our show, if you listened to us before. It's going to feel the same. But uh, what I actually have for you this time is something special. It's a lost episode of the show. Not even of this show, actually. It's a lost episode of the show that never was, or the show that could be or will be one day. Um, about three years ago, Ashley and I decided to do a rewatch podcast for one of our favorite TV shows, My So-Called Life, one of the great teen shows from the 90s. Well, one of the great teen shows ever, I think. Um, you'll hear us talk about that plenty in a moment. And, um, well, we decided to bank a few episodes. Let's let's kind of get a few in the can and then um, see if we're really committed to this. And, and there's only 19 episodes, so we can, you know, it seems doable. And then guess what? We never, we never got our act together. So we recorded a pilot episode. Uh, we recorded episode two. We recorded episode three. We have three episodes of this show. And I'm going to uh, put on the first one for you today. So it's going to be kind of a podcast wrapped within a podcast. The show was going to be called Actual Human Contact, which is itself um, a misremembered line of dialogue from the show. So, you know, if, if we ever pursue this, we may need to change the name, but you'll hear us mention that. Uh, otherwise, it's going to feel much like a normal Dave and Ashley conversation, only it happens to be about My So-Called Life, which starred Claire Danes and uh, was created by Winnie Holtzman and uh, also launched the career of Jared Leto, now that I think about it. Um, and uh, I think if you uh, if you like what you hear, you know, there's a little bit more. And I could probably um, twist Ashley's arm into uh, doing the rest of the show with us, with me, with us. Yes. Well, I do have two cats in the room with me today, but not a wife. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm losing my train of thought. Without further ado, here's our pilot episode. It's the pilot of the show, My So-Called Life from 1994. And oh my God, I can't believe I didn't mention why I put this out now. It's the 30th anniversary of my so-called life, which, um, I mean, you know, at the end of the year, uh, I cannot believe 30 years has gone by. Um, it also happens to coincide with a little online watch party I'm going to do um, with some of my friends. And so it got me thinking about the show again, and I started kind of digging around on the hard drives, and I found, I found this. So here we go. Welcome to Actual Human Contact, a My So-Called Life rewatch. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. Now, we each had our own experience with this show when it ran in the 90s. And here we are, many years later, married, watching the entire show together, all 19 episodes. So, let's catch up with Angela and Rayanne and Ricky and Brian, and yes, Jordan Catalano, as they experience all the pain and angst of growing up in the 90s. But first. But first. Why are we doing a show <laughs> doing about my so-called life, a show that aired in the '90s, now in 2020? Uh, probably nostalgia. There's probably a good degree of that. Um, <laughs> that and I rewatch the show like every two or three years anyway. So, and I guess we had wanted to do a TV rewatch for a while, and 
since there's only 19 episodes, it's like a small enough bite for us to to take on. Yeah, but see, we didn't choose we didn't choose the show just because it's a small bite. Yes. <laughs> It's that good a show. It is that good of a show. I think it meant something to each of us yeah. before we came together and realized that we each loved this show. Yeah, it's um, true. <laughs> we have wa- rewatched pieces of it, chunks together, yeah. selectively. Like we would put one in. We we worked our way through some of the series a couple of years ago. I think before we moved into the other house. It was something we could watch with your girls while they were yeah. doing their own thing. I showed my daughter, who's now 15, no, 16. 16. She's 16, but yeah. I showed her the pilot, I think, around when she was 13. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, they never really got into the show. <laughs> they, they're like hummingbirds, and, yeah. and so this is our show, I guess. Yeah. So, um, I guess you, you did a little bit of research. I actually have attended a sort of reunion of the cast and some the writers of the show at the Atex Television Festival. So I have some knowledge of the background of the show, but you did a little bit of research and found out some more sort of oh, just, just, framing Just some stuff. specs. I mean, I don't have detailed yeah. anecdotes to tell or anything <laughs> like that, but just the basics is, you know, it ran on ABC um, from August 25th, 1994 until January 26th, 1995. And uh, it was created by Winnie Holtzman. And produced by Edward Zwick and Marshall Herskovitz. 30-something guys. Okay, that's yeah. the piece I'm missing. Because yeah. I, I still to this day have never seen an episode of 30-something. I didn't watch it when it was on, and that's not a connection I had. So that's something that I, for our other podcast, I would like to someday show you some 30-somethings. Because I came to 30-something, well, when I was almost in my 30s, which was like two decades after it initially aired. So, um I think it might be interesting to look at at some point, too. Yeah. You know, especially as a fan of My So-Called Life. So according to some of my research, um, the project sort of originated, like like the germ of the idea that that um, Edward Zwick and Marshall Herskovitz brought to Winnie Holtzman was because they, they were a writing team on um, the television show Family, which was in the 70s, I think. Huh. Um, Christy McNichol was the teenage daughter on, this was a long time ago. Never heard of it. And they were, um, continually frustrated off and on by their attempts to do more real stories about the teenage daughter that would get pushed back as no, this is, this doesn't fit into our format and our audience. They don't want to see stuff that real. So they kind of like, you know, we should just do our own show sometime where we can do all that stuff we wanted to do and show like how awful, (laughs) <laughs> and real you know a teenager's life actually is without being patronizing at all and really seeing it from their point of view so i think that's what they came to winnie holtzman with yeah. and she created developed and wrote the series so the show is the story of angela chase a 15 year old sophomore in pittsburgh and her friends and her family her mom and dad her sister um it launched the careers of claire danes and jared leto mm-hmm. and um it's sort of unique, at least at this time, of being entirely from the perspective of a teenage girl, with 17 out of 19 episodes actually narrated first person by yeah. Angela. Um, it's always been, like, from the time it aired, it was critically acclaimed. The TV reviewers loved it, but it had a, it had a small, dedicated audience. It never really went big. Yeah. Um, it's now sort of legendary i mean it has a cult status obviously it's remembered fondly new generations have found it it's often thought of as one of the best shows on television about 
being a teenager. Yeah. It's also thought of as being one of the best shows on television ever. Yeah. <laughs> Not to get too hyperbolic. Um, it was canceled officially May 15th, 1995. Unfortunately, even though everybody involved um, had the expectation that it was probably going to be renewed, they didn't resolve everything. They were leading, they were going to head right into another season. Um, there's varying stories about why it got canceled. Um, ABC was sort of on the fence about it anyway, and were maybe kind of, it's suggested, looking for a reason to cancel it because it, it, it really wasn't doing that well in the ratings. Um, for perspective, it was on it was running opposite Mad About You and Friends oh, on right. NBC, yeah. which is pretty much death to anything that else that was <laughs> yeah. going on at the time. Um, and then, um, I don't know if this is true or not, but I saw, I think I saw a, an interview with Winnie Holtzman talking about how you know, then they learned that Claire Danes really wasn't a hundred percent into continuing yeah. with the show. It was so grueling for an actual, actual fifteen-year-old yeah. to be on set all that time with so much of their life devoted to production, new and acting and a career and all that kind of stuff. That she and her parents reportedly went to them and said, "You know, we're not sure Claire is up for coming back for this," and so that sort of changed the. The tempo and Winnie Holtzman felt like, well, if she's not 100% into it, like, how can I, I don't really want to do this if, if everybody's yeah. not, like, I need, I want everybody to be in on it. So it's not Claire Danes' fault yeah. or anything <laughs> like that, but it, I think it allowed um, ABC to then say, well, you know, what do you guys have anyway if, for instance, she doesn't come back? Yeah. So tragically, it, it was canceled <laughs> after that single season. Um, and 19 episodes. That's a sh- that's a strange number, yeah. isn't it? Aren't, wouldn't they normally be... Uh, 22, yeah. I think, is standard for a season. Sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, but yeah. And another factoid I ran into was that um, upon the rumors of its cancellation, this was the first show that had like an, a, the very first online fan campaign to save <laughs> the show, which is now a regular thing done for every single show ever. Yeah, that's when, baby internet back then. So it's baby internet. <laughs> yeah. I was barely on the internet in 95. I, th- I remember you know? my mom bought a saddle on the internet from like a text-based version of eBay at the, you know. <laughs> it actually might have just been like a online, like forum where people yeah. were were trading things horse things anyway. and i should have mentioned that this launched <laughs> wilson cruz's career yeah. too i mean he's still like he's a regular on star trek discovery yeah and um he's done so he was on rent on broadway yeah, was, shortly after this he was angel he was angel yeah so when i saw his uh either they'd already replaced him or it was his understudy i can't believe yeah i can't remember but i did not get to see I wilson cruz as was, angel i don't think he initiated it maybe he did i can't remember i I don't know. He was yeah. in the program, I think, but yeah. I didn't see it with him. I, I Well, you know, as people who were like super fans of Rent back when it was like in its early run, um, I remember him being in the cast. But, but what I can't remember is he if he was the initial person who took that role or not. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I got. <sighs> so, I mean, I just I think I wanted to say a little bit about how we came across this. So I did never see this when it was running on ABC. I never saw it in an episode thing. I was probably I was 12 and 13 when it was running. Um, So I came across it because um, they replayed episodes on MTV. 
and that's how I saw it. Um, they this would comes play, up a lot. The, the, yeah, you saw they, things on MTV. They would play time. it. Like I want to say it came on at like four. Like right when I got home from school, and I would watch it every day, and like they just played it over and over and over, like I, I'm pretty sure like the 19 episodes. So I would like the first time I saw it was probably in the middle of the season sometime, and then like eventually I would work my way around to where I'd seen all of it. You know, like it played five episodes a week from four to five p.m. or whatever. Yeah. You know, every or five to six. I don't know how how it worked, but. Um, this show just, um, like, I felt it to my core, like, the instant that I saw it. It was, like, I think the first episode I saw was the episode with the tarot cards. Oh, yeah. And I was, I had my own tarot deck. I was, like... You already had your own tarot deck? I already deck, had my own tarot deck. I had, my mom helped deck. me sew a satin bag, a purple satin bag for my tarot cards. Um, so it just tied into so much that... I mean, but, like, I adopted it as, like, a part of my identity, like, because I was just always this sort of introspective, weird girl that always felt out of place. And, I mean, like, I realize that everybody feels that way, but, like, I mean, I dyed my hair red. I mean, like, you know me. I've worn my... I, my hair is not red now, but <laughs> most of my life I've dyed my hair red and not even natural shades of red. You know? I don't know if I'm making this up, but I could yeah. have sworn I've heard you say at some point that Angela Chase is your spirit animal. She is. I just, I, it's funny though, because, well, we'll talk about it later, but, but watching her now, it's, it's much different than, but like, I felt like someone had finally expressed some part of me that, that needed an expressing or something like that. And like, I, I used to drive my mom crazy. Like we would go looking for a dress for me to wear to a dance or something like that. And I wanted Angela's dress that she wore to the dance, the one, the crushed velvet with the bell sleeves. Yeah. That dress did not exist in Lubbock, Texas. We looked and like, I couldn't, my mom was so frustrated with me because it wasn't, she was like, don't you like anything? And I was like, no, I want this specific thing, which didn't exist. I only yeah. want this. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, it just, instantly like meant the world to me and and you know I've I've owned the DVD set forever and then I think we have a second DVD set now but um you know I bought it at I mean I think I remember buying it Best Buy and like it was a lot of money to spend and I got it like half off anyway so this is like a major event in my life is this this show and 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 all that it means to me yeah <laughs> I'm going to come across as such a casual viewer compared to that because I don't think it meant, obviously didn't mean all the same things to me. So first of all, confession, I'm 10 years older than yeah, you. Yeah. So I did see this first run when it was on. Yeah. Probably because I was just watching TV and I didn't want to watch Friends or yeah. Mad About You, which I never really watched. Um, but for me, so this would have, in 94, 95, this would have coincided with like the year after college. Yeah. And so I'm trying to remember. So this would be me going through the next horrible transition phase in life, which yeah. is life after college, entering the real world, feeling like you don't know what you're doing, having to pay bills, having to look for a job, realizing that maybe you hate what you decided to major in and just feeling kind of still kind of stuck between being um, an adolescent and being an adult. Yeah. So it's not the same 
period of transition, no. but it's it's a, it's another huge phase, you yeah. know, another turmoil. So I think there's something there. But at the same time, I was still close enough to my high school experience where I was the male version of an Angela Chase and that yeah. I was the introspective, <laughs> quiet... INFP sitting in front of the locker, looking at what other people are doing, thinking my thoughts, you know, and just, so I don't know if it's probably not nostalgia, but it's still that, I think I still had that feeling of recognition. Yeah. Like this is what it feels like to be that age. This is what it felt like to be my age, like real recognizing the truth in it and having some version of that feeling seen and understanding and realizing, you know, I was a film student too. You know, I went to, I had just finished film school at UCSD and, um, the, and just knowing that they're really, I had never seen a show like this before that treated a teenager's experience with such integrity and authenticity. Yeah. And it wasn't, patronizing and it wasn't like a message of the week kind of show it wasn't from the perspective of adults with watching teenagers play out a problem and then solving it for them by the end or showing rash consequences that you know it was just like you're dropping in on real life with Angela Chase and realizing it has this amazing quality of being extremely specific in terms of the character's that you come to meet, you know, like at this point, having seen the show, this is maybe now my fifth time going through it, fourth or fifth time. Like I really know Rayanne and Ricky and Brian Krakow. And, um, and yet there's something archetypal about them too. Like the, like, you know, a Brian Krakow or you were a Brian Krakow. Maybe, maybe I was Brian Krakow or you can't see that. Okay. (laughs) No, I'm not as robot-like. No. Uh, um, but you know versions of all of those characters. You yeah. know people like Jordan Catalano. You mm. know people like Angela. You know Sharon, you know. Um, so, yeah, I I just, I, I watched it when it originally ran. I think I did, I watched it when, if I was, I remember watching bits of it on MTV later on, whenever yeah. that aired. So it, was, it would be something that, you know... I didn't record obsessively like Twin Peaks, which yeah. would have been the other show I was super into <laughs> back then, which aired a few yeah. years before. But I would watch it when it came on. Yeah. So I think how we're going to do this podcast is that we will have a synopsis um, that I write so that we get an idea of what the this particular episode is about. And then we'll share our feelings and thoughts about it. We'll talk about the music um, little updates on our characters, and then a personal ranking system. So uh, the pilot episode actually is a little bit hard to synopsize, so this is a longer synopsis than um, hopefully going forward. <laughs> we'll decide if this synopsis thing works out so so well or not. Um, but the uh, synopsis I have for the pilot, uh, Angela Chase has started hanging out with a new friend, Rayanne Graff, because it seems like she'll die if she doesn't. 
School is a battlefield filled with boys, frustrated teachers, and all the pressures of teenagerdom. With Rayanne and her friend Ricky's help, Angela dyes her hair bright red, or crimson glow, to match the sh- much to the chagrin of Angela's harried and uptight mother, mother, Patty. Patty feels increasingly that she doesn't know her own daughter, and she doesn't approve of her new friends. Ram, Angela's dad, is equally baffled by the changes, but seems to take things more in stride. And Angela's little sister just wants some attention from someone. Angela's relationship with her childhood best friend Sharon is also strained due to her growing relationship with Rayan and Ricky. Angela admits she has a crush on Jordan Catalano, a blue-eyed enigma who's great at leaning. Rayanne tells Angela about a party where Jordan is going to be that evening. Taking advantage of her dad's desire to be a good guy, Angela convinces Graham to let her go out on a school night for a play rehearsal. Patty, returning home late from work, is not pleased to find that Graham has let Angela go out. (laughs) Um, At the party, Angela falls in some mud while standing near the mosh pit. She goes inside to clean up and finds Jordan sitting alone watching TV. She has a too brief conversation about the day of the week. It it doesn't feel like a Friday. Before Jordan is called away by his friends. Angela returns home where she's confronted by Patty and the rest of the family. The fight ends when Angela admits she's fine. She just fell in some mud. The next day at school, Rayanne invites Angela out to the club. Let's bolt. Ricky's cousin Tino can get them in. Sharon confronts Angela for dropping... What? Oh, I'm just saying he's oh. not her cousin. The cousin. <laughs> not, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we looked this up, but Tino is not Ricky's cousin. They're separate people. Sharon confronts Angela for suddenly dropping her as a friend and says that she hates her hair. It's pretty low. Um, that evening, Angela asked her to stay over at Rayanne's for the asked to stay over at Rayanne's for the evening. Patty wants to say no, but is tired of always being the bad guy, so she opts for a passive aggressive guilt trip. Patty, Graham, and Angela argue. Danielle tries to get someone to watch her do a handstand. Angela leaves, slamming the front door behind her. While waiting for her ride, she runs into her neighbor, Brian Krakow, who goes to her school. He shines her behaving like a teenage cliche, and she blows him off. At the club, Rayanne, Ricky, and Angela wait in the parking lot for Tino. Rayanne approaches some guys, and one of them tries to assault her. Angela steps in to prevent the attack, and a police officer arrives to escort the girls home. At home, Angela goes in to see her mother and apologizes for the argument they had earlier. She falls asleep in her mother's arms. She must have been pretty tired. Monday at school, Rayanne encourages Angela to tell others about the events of the weekend. It was a time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a time. It was a time. It was a time. (laughs) They should have called that episode. Instead of pilot, it should have been, it was a time. (laughs) That would sound like an All in the Family episode or something. Would it? I I don't know much about All in the Family. The next episode is Dancer in the Dark, so that's kind of poetic in the same sort of way. So we meet all our people here. (laughs) And all of the major themes of the series are here, even though I don't think they knew exactly where they were going to go. Yeah. I mean, I just learned today that Jordan Catalano was a one-off character. Yeah. And they booked Jared Leto for the pilot. Yeah. And towards the end of the shoot, when they saw his work with Claire Danes, mm-hmm. they ju- it just clicked and they called his agent <laughs> and was like, he's going to be in this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need Jordan Catalano. They did need Jordan Catalano. I don't know. I don't know what that show would be without him. I mean, like, he is the, like, the kind of guy that, that I would have a crush on, well, you know? <laughs> Winnie Holtzman on the DVD commentary says something like, 
little did we know, you know, I called his agent, little did they know I was going to build my empire around him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, he's, he just has all the features. I mean, like he's got the, I mean, like the, the boyish blue eyes and the like very distracted, uh, absent, you know, far off gaze in his eyes that make him seem much, um, much more deep and intense than the reality of what we learned. So that's a a funny disconnect for (laughs) me because throughout the show, we have to listen to Angela see, I mean, we see him through her eyes as being like so deep. Yeah. And and while at the same time, we recognize that he's really just kind of a stoner space cadet. Well, I love the, the thing that she says where he, she likes how he just, looks at things like it hurts to look at the world or something like that. Um, What's hilarious to me about that is, is, um, he, he is that when she says that he's literally like putting eye drops into his eyes. Yeah. And so I'm like, no, I think he was probably in Tino's van smoking out. Yeah. Just yeah. Now. He was high <laughs> and his, con- he wears contacts too. So his eyes are kind of dry oh, okay. too. So like it's, and as a new, as I, you know, probably wore contacts at the time, I understand how awful and dry your eyes get, you know, especially with the bad, non-breathable contacts we had in the 90s. <laughs> so what stood out to you in this viewing of the show? I mean, I, I assume you've seen it a million times. Um, I have, you know, I, for some reason, I have, Pilot was not one of my favorites. I mean, like, it's important, um, but... There are other episodes that stick out more in my mind, but yeah. but like watching it this time, like again, they they get the family dynamics like spot on, in like all the conversations between like Patty and Graham and Danielle and Angela around the table or in the house or the arguments they have. It's just so like well written as to like how people you know, engage with each other in a family situation, you know, and like how you like, you know how to push people's buttons and this like interaction between like guilt and love and, and passive aggressive. Yeah, this I mean, like the mother daughter thing. And then the like, dad is like, out of it, but he's in it. But he's like, you know, all this you know, <laughs> I know that she loves you more than she loves me. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? She doesn't love me more. Than... I know she does. And I accept that. I it. accept that. Okay. <laughs> Her mom and dad. Well, and you know, the things that I recognize from my own family, because my family was this dynamic, dad, mom, younger sibling, I was the oldest sibling. And so, like, it's instantly recognizable in that, like, and my parents always explained it to me, like, you're the first time we ever had a 15-year-old or whatever. So, like, they would always say, we're going to make mistakes because we never had a 15-year-old before. But, like, they get so wrapped up in the new experience because everyone's attracted to that new experience of, like, how do we deal with this thing that this oldest child has just done? And, like, by the time the second child, like, gets to it, they've already done it before. They already... It's it's old news. So it's hard for them to... For the younger child to get that kind of attention, you know, <laughs> sometimes because... So, like, it, you know, Danielle is just doing her middle school thing and, like, Graham and Patty are really engaged in this child that is, like... Expressing her independence. My 13-year-old daughter yeah. still does that. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, like, 
like it's it's easy to understand why it happens, but it's hard to like counteract that because like when you've got a child that is like becoming independent and becoming their own person and you you're feeling that pull away from you and like of course they're going to want to pull the reins back and that's going to bring you know more attention um so yeah sometimes the younger kid gets lost in that you know and and I understand that <laughs> but it's just so well written as like <laughs> well so I realize now that the experience I have now of watching this show is completely different because now I can identify with the parents. Yeah, yeah same. Not when I was 22 yeah. or 23, <laughs> but now I have two teenage daughters. I've got a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. I'm living this stuff now, and I've lived variations of that dynamic that we see the chases have. Yeah. And now I'm going to be seeing this kind of keeping an eye on their parenting, not in a judgmental way, but yeah. in a, like, I don't envy them having to have this conversation <laughs> right now. Or, you know, it's just, it's a completely different experience. You don't identify with the parents at all when you're yeah. closer to Angela's Well, I, yeah, I think that before that, that this pull to like go out and do things with new people and not be the same person that you were before. So this sort of dichotomy that Angela's having where she's pulling away from her childhood best friend, Sharon, because not because Sharon is bad and she doesn't like Sharon, but because Sharon represents a side of Angela that she's rejecting. I think she represents her childhood. Yeah. Yeah. She, she wants to be something new. She wants to try new things. She wants to, to have new experiences and she doesn't feel like she can have that with Sharon. Well, you know, Sharon also, as you get through the series, you know that she was Angela's best friend because her mom is best friends with Angela's mom. Camille. Yeah. And they raised them together. They're the same age. They had kids around the same time. So that's, (laughs) and that's awkward too, because Patty, her, the mom, and and um, Camille, uh, Sharon's mom, continue to maintain their friendship and have to deal now with their daughters not wanting to talk to each other. Yeah. But it's really hard, this breakup between the friends, and it's done so well. Yeah. We've all probably had breakups with best friends. Yeah. Or, or even, like, not dramatic ones, but the slow drift. Yeah, the slow drift is far more And common. the feeling uncomfortable seeing them, talking to them, running into them. There's a great scene towards the end of the episode where they're in the bathroom and they finally, yeah, Sharon kind other. of confronts her and like, what did I do? Yeah. Oh, and her whole thing about everybody's talking about you and she mm-hmm. unloads all of the stuff that she's feeling feeling about how you're just pretending you're something you're not and Rayanne Graff is just using you just like she, just like so-and-so. Yeah. I forget the name of the girl. <laughs> And it's just so somebody sh- Trusky, right? No, she's Trusky. Yeah, that's right. It's I forget. It doesn't matter. <laughs> what she do to her? She yeah. never tells us what she did. It does. It's not important. And uh, you know, they Angela cries in that scene. It's yeah. one of the classic Claire Danes. It's it's not. And she's like, yeah, it's not your. It's not you. I don't know it's what me. you did. You yeah, it's anything. me that's it's, the problem. It, is, it is really is like a breakup. <laughs> yeah. I think Winnie Holtzman called it the divorce scene yeah. in, uh, in the commentary, which I liked. Uh, and like, the thing about what she does with Sharon is not that she drops, 
that's the thing that I think is interesting and maybe why I relate it because I do this too. I don't feel good about it, but I have this like, I've done it in high school. I've done it as an adult, which is... Avoidance? There's a certain point when you just don't have anything more to say to someone. So you just stop saying stuff to them. And it feels very sudden to people who aren't in your head as you're experiencing this like slow separation, you know, from, from them that's happening in your own mind. And they might not even realize it, you know, that, that it's been going on, you know? Um, but, um, yeah. So she starts hanging out with Rayanne and Ricky. She says it's Rayanne, but it's really Rayanne and Ricky all the time, you know, except for that very first scene. It's just... What first scene? The very first scene of the episode, it's it's just Rayanne and her hanging out. But for the most part, it's Rayanne and Ricky hanging out. Mm-hmm. You know, and Ricky, I think he starts out as sort of like a side character before he becomes like sort of one of the main four big characters, four or five big characters. But at like first, he's kind of presented as like Rayanne's like sidekick, I guess. <laughs> I didn't think about that. You know, he's just always there. and But he's kind of, like, there's, like, mysterious stuff going on with him. Like, when they're out at the Let's Bolt and the cop shows up, like, Ricky just takes off. Like, he's like, I gotta go as soon as the police officer arrives, which I think is kind of interesting. Like, he doesn't hang out to see what happens. He just goes when the police get involved, which is... We later learned, like, we later learned what a terrible home life Ricky has yeah. and he's living with his uncle or something like that who's abusive yeah. and there's a lot going on I don't know if they've ever, if they've uncovered yet and I don't know what they had plans for Ricky yet but I don't know he's 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 a great character he's, he's one, one of, my of the best characters, characters well, of all time he's thinking, so good was, and interesting was and he one of the first gay teens depicted on TV, primetime TV because I just can't think of anyone else back then in the early 90s who you know? No, well, yeah, I can't think of of anything that early either. And it's difficult to go back in time. Obviously, you can't yeah. go back in time to when you first saw the show because now it feels so normal. But I remember the the kind of double take of Ricky doing his eyeliner in the girls' bathroom yeah. at high school, which was not a thing that was yeah. <laughs> that was very common or shown on TV at the time. And now it's totally, of course, Ricky's in the bathroom doing his makeup. Yeah. You now it just feels like, of course, it's Ricky. Well, it's, it's interesting because I was a teenager when this, around the same time as this, and I had friends who were uh, exploring their sexuality and coming out as gay or bi or whatever. I mean, and that's, that's the extent of it that we had in Leveland, um, which believe me, was enough for the people in the land at the time. But, you know, I think it's so interesting now that, like, there's so many, like, we're moving away from the very strict definitions of gender, which I think is wonderful. Um, But, like, it's interesting to me because, like, Angela says that Ricky says he's bi. And, like, her parents are like, ah, what what is this bi thing? Which, like from my experience, is, like, a common thing, like, especially in the 90s, you would say that you were bi before you came out as gay. And not everyone who came out as bi also came out as gay, but that was, like, a common sort of trajectory for people in the 90s is to sort well, of... It was the, like, I'm, I'm interested in 
the opposite sex, but I'm also interested in the same sex. And then eventually, you know, it would be like, I'm exclusively interested in same sex, you know, which is... And the adults don't know how to deal with <laughs> yeah. him. I thought it was, it's very dismissive how Patty says, yeah. I find him very confusing. Yeah. I find your friend Ricky very confusing. And they're like, what do you mean? He's yeah. bi. Oh, he's bi? Yeah. And Daniel is like, <laughs> it means bisexual, mom. <laughs> I think it's so. I think he's just a so very confused young man. Yeah, you know, that kind of shut it down. Like, yeah, and even even parents who think that they are open minded sometimes have that very visceral reaction to things. There, especially in this time where we were transitioning from very strict gender roles um, to more fluid and I don't know. It's 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 interesting because that is very much the world that I grew up in. And so like, I, I, I get it. And like how you feel progressive just by, you know, being open to it because the other people are so closed off to it that it doesn't even, it's so when you, I don't know, I don't know. It's, it's interesting (laughs) (laughs) to see the beginnings of that transition towards, towards, you know, acceptance and, and, you know, cultural assimilate and i don't know if that's the right word but um yeah i like to watch ricky's journey throughout this thing do you like what they i've totally changed it i don't know i'm just going with my mind (laughs) do you like how they choose the symbol of um angela making a break with her past as dyeing her hair red in the opening yeah yeah i think that that's that's a pretty common thing it's it's like i'm gonna completely change starting a new identity by changing how you look on the outside so you want people to recognize your difference through through what you're expressing you know and it's interesting to watch I have a bunch of notes about the fashion in this episode just because I think it's so I'm fascinating. Gonna, I was wondering if we were going to do that. Yeah. I don't have the vocabulary or even the eyes to see everything, but I love that we're kind of keeping track of that too. So, I mean, like, it's funny because I, watching the show, never thought, because they're dressing like real kids. They're not dressed like fashion models or anything like that. They're dressed like how people dress at the time. And, like, so even, like, two years later, it felt like kind of uncool and not not all that hip because like the thing is they they were dressing with what they thought was cool but was not all that so I mean like some of the and then Angela's making this transition from this old style where her mother is like helping her pick out her clothes and and so she's got all these like pinafore dresses and and like really sort of infantile clothing and then she starts wearing what I suspect to be is one of her dad's old flannels. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that just... That reminds me now of uh, <laughs> Lindsay wearing the old army jacket yeah, on Freaks exactly. and Yeah, exactly. Well, dad. that's like a thing is like you're, you start dressing differently and, and the way you do that is you don't go out and buy a whole new wardrobe. You go through what you have access to and it's like your parents' old clothes, you know, and... Like I had a sweatshirt that my that we bought for my dad that I ended up wearing like all the time during that 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 phase, you know. So, <laughs> so this is something another interesting. I'm going to come up with factoids every once in a yeah. while from my reading around. But something unique that that they decided to do with the fashion for the show was 
they actually like they pulled a whole bunch of looks and stuff like that but they had the major characters like choose just like four mm. or five things yeah and they made a wardrobe for them so we're going to be seeing Angela wearing the same clothes a yeah. lot and a lot of the other characters are going to be like oh she's wearing that dress again because yeah. like they wanted it to feel so real that it's not just um, you know the cast of nine nine oh two one oh or like yeah. every other show where they've got a completely different outfit every single time and you never that's see right. anything repeated they wanted the familiarity of of course she's wearing that that's one of her that's her yeah. favorite thing or that's one of the six things she owns right now yeah so they're gonna do that and i don't think that's done very often and i really no. like that it's uh, to me like sharon has the most what to me so if you've looked at catalogs from like J.C. Penney's... Well, I was going to say Sharon is still dressing like the, her mom yeah, picks her too but, good. But not only that, but like if... do you So the mall that I work in, it's not a mall anymore. It's a school. But <laughs> the, the college... It used to be a J.C. Yeah. Penney's. And so they have... When they closed down the mall, they like brought up out of nostalgia all these... Um, uh, like old catalog stuff like that from the mid nineties. And like Sharon looks like she's wearing the same stuff. These like dusty pink with like Western style, like bolo type stuff. And she's wearing a pink vest. Vests are not a Ricky wears vests. Well, he's the only character that wears vests. Well, but vests were such a big thing in the nineties. <laughs> so the, the guy who did the costumes, <laughs> said that his inspiration for Ricky initially was like, I straight up went for the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club yeah. Band with the like band uniforms and the gun. Yeah. I think Ricky takes, and you know, Rayanne has a very interesting style. It's sort of this like boho, but kind of flirty, you know, sort of thing. I think Angela's wearing something she borrowed from Rayanne when they go out, which is a lot more revealing than she's used to. She doesn't usually dress like that, oh yeah. God, those blocky heels in the 90s. I remember those. That they like, wear when they go out to the club. Yeah. <laughs> I like the scene where they're sitting in the alley, like, waiting for Tino, and they're just yeah. kind of like, they're going to switch shoes. Yeah. <laughs> you see the silhouettes of the blocky so boots. So many pairs of uh, blocky blocky shoes i think eventually angela starts wearing her her brown uh doc martens or brown boots i don't know if they're doc martens but that's they are. that's why i had brown brown boots in the 90s was because of that also because that's what you could buy at the buckle uh, <laughs> um but yeah I, I i don't know i think it's it's interesting what what the fashion says about the characters brian's outfits are always very um he's always very tucked in he's wearing like the, Cords, the and the right? khakis the pleated khakis he dresses kind of like angela's dad actually so um <laughs> I think da- angela's dad is more flannelly isn't he yeah he's yeah he drapey. is yeah brian's a little more tucked in shirt that's true yeah khakis or cords <laughs> long sleeve shirts Brian with that camera don't you just yeah. want to take away his camera sometimes yeah he's he's pretty so that's interesting it's another interesting transition. So pretty early on the first time I watched this, I would have watched like the last few episodes where Brian is like expressing more interest in Angela, where it's more obvious. But like at the time, like I always thought that he was the better fit. But now when I watch it, like it just, he just seems creepy to me in, in a, I mean, like I still have a lot of empathy and sympathy for Brian. I understand. But like, to me now his behavior seems a lot more creepy and predatory than like I would have realized back then, you know, I think I've, I've his, I mean, I never 
I never liked him that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I always thought he was problematic. Yeah. <laughs> but he does feel more toxic or something in yeah. a way. He's very so the the whole shtick that we're going to see in this his his kind of arc is, you know, he has this unrequited love for Angela. He's yeah. he's got the crush on her that she has for Jordan. Well, we're going to see stuff's going to play out with her and Jordan that never happens with Brian. But the way that he expresses this unresolved thing is he's like really kind of verbally abusive. Critical, critical. He's judgmental. He puts yeah. her down. He'd go off and go make a fool of yourself. Yeah. Like he's very, he's, it's an, it's that the anger that comes out that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. It just makes you think of like trolls on the internet or something yeah. who've been, you know, rejected too many times who are just like turn into trolls or something. Yeah. You know, you I know, think Jordan doesn't I think, deserve her, right? Yeah. I mean, Brian is the one who's like Well, that's the thing is like neither of these guys are prizes in the end. <laughs> but that's just what it is to be a teenager is that you're attracted to and people who are attracted to you, people who aren't necessarily good fits for you. Teenage and, boys are not as mature no, as No, they aren't. Girls. They aren't. And, you know, despite the fact that Brian is really smart he does not have much experience with people or emotions. He can't express his yeah. own emotions. They're, yeah. Like I think they both come his parents the are way. therapists, I think. They're both psychiatrists. Yeah. Well, yeah. one's a Freudian psychologist and the other one's a, I forget what. Are they Freudian and Jungian? One of them is Freudian and the other one is not. It's mentioned in the show at some point, but. Um, well, he gets an episode of POV. Yeah. Like Which Life I think, Brian. I think that really helps to humanize him. Like he might not have been as, as likable as he even is, if well, it weren't for that episode. As with any of these characters, you <laughs> empathize them more the more we get to know them yeah. and where they're coming from. But he's really kind of an asshole to Angela a lot in the show. And, and alternating with the creepiness of like being voyeuristic. Yeah. He's kind of always trying to look in her window or look at her through the camera. Uh, yeah. He's taking covert shots of her at the during the yearbook. Yeah. Which actually leads to that amazing moment where she hides under her sweater. <laughs> yeah. And you have the POV looking through the, yeah. the, <laughs> the fabric, holes of the sweater. The holes of the sweater, which I just love. <laughs> that was so good. So I don't think we get much of a feel for Rayanne in this first episode at all. She's just sort of like the catalyst for all the stuff that's happening. But we, I don't think we get as much of a sense of who she is. I don't think they knew what they were going to do with them yet. Yeah. I think that they have them there as representatives of Angela's new life. Yeah. The more grown-up life. Yeah. And so with Rayanne, you immediately have, you know, she's got a bottle of liquor. She's, they're going, they're lying to she their parents. She smokes in the bathroom, I think. She smokes in the bathroom. Yeah. They, they are telling lies to their parents. They're going, they're pretending they're older than they are. They're getting into clubs that they shouldn't get into. She tells Angela to dress tough to go to Let's Bolt because somebody tried to light her hair on fire last time she yeah. went. <laughs> well, so, and, uh, you know, when, at the end of the night, when Rayanne gets dropped off at home, Angela notices that her mother isn't home. So we do get a little bit of a glimpse into what her home like is, life is a little bit. I mean, she eventually becomes, I think, another, like Ricky, another one of the greatest characters ever. And and the actress who plays Rayanne is just... I love Rayanne. I Graf. mean, just like just like Claire Danes is wonderful and perfect for the part, Rayanne is like wonderful and perfect I think for this part, too. <laughs> the god of this TV universe gave Angela Chase two of the best friends possible. Because yeah. I just love Ricky and Rayanne. Yeah. They're just so amazing. They're good together. They're good separate they're good one-on-one with angela we get to spend (laughs) enough time with them that 
it's not always seen through Angela's eyes. We get to see what they're going through, which really rounds out the whole show. You know, you have some terrible crises for Rayanne with her drinking. Yeah. And, um, and Ricky. With his living situation. Homelessness. Yeah. Living on the streets, being abused. Like, but it's not done in an exploitative or like shock value kind of. Yeah. <laughs> the terrible lives of teenagers for your viewing comfort and to teach you a PSA lesson. No, they're real people. Well, what's I think is interesting about it is it does play a lot with these sort of like the interaction between like a middle class intact family versus how people without intact families or who come from a, you know, fr- from poverty or, you know, well, they are there. like how they interact with like Angela can't in a sense she can't not empathize with them on certain levels because her experience in her life is is this intact family unit, which, I mean, obviously has problems. Her dad may be cheating on her mom. We, we get a glimpse of that towards the end of the thing. But, like, she doesn't have that experience. And I think that's, like, such an important part of adolescence that, like, maybe some people miss out on, which is, like, realizing that other people don't have the same sort of experience as you. Because, like, before her best friend was Sharon, who also has an intact family, middle-class family. And, like, so she is just now for the first time seeing that, you know, there are people who, you know, don't have moms at their houses when they go home at night and, you know, don't have people that they can rely on every day. And, like, that experience, like, really changes, like, this this sort of thing where she feels like the yearbook... <laughs> doesn't tell the actual story is because the yearbook tells the story that her mother wants to hear about her her school. But it's not what actually happens. It's not what actually happens. It's not the fact that, you know, like a kid had to bring a gun to school because they felt unsafe or, you know, or, you know, a kid has a drinking problem because they were abandoned by their, you know, father and, you know, all of this this stuff that that she previously had no awareness of and so like it's it's fascinating to watch her learn about the world and that that most of the world isn't that sort of it takes a while yeah. for her to learn these lessons because yeah. she's teenagers are very narcissistic self-absorbed yeah. and we're living through her self-absorption yeah. and it takes the outright life and death crises that Rayanne and Ricky go through which she doesn't even if i re- remember correctly i can't remember which of them that she's so involved in her Jordan thing that yeah. she does, and she's had maybe it's falling out with Rayanne. Is that yeah, what it she is has a fallout with Rayanne. That she doesn't realize how bad things are. I may be conflating different, so you know yeah. I do have to rewatch the series. But it takes an awful lot to get her to see, like life, what the life experiences are for these best friends, these so-called best friends. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I don't know, but that beginning of that awakening is just so fascinating to me. It's, it's that, 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 you know, because I remember having these realizations that, like, every, not everyone has the same experience, that not everybody has the same opportunities, you know, it's like, it's, it's actually a beautiful illustration of how privilege allows Angela to skate through situations that 
you know, her friends weren't so lucky to skate through, you know. And what really is the biggest problem she has, that her mom's kind of naggy and and critical? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, this film, this film, this show does such a good job of capturing that dynamic of a mother and daughter just at each other's throats. Yeah. There's that, I mean, like that particular, and I, I, I suspect that it is probably the oldest, probably the oldest girl that deals with this the most, but that sort of, I don't know, my, I don't know, I, I feel like it was mirrored in my household, like, I feel like some of the conversations that Angela has her mom remind me so much of conversations that I had with my mom, you know, it's just, it's, there's a needling, (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) there's a, like, I'm gonna make a comment about the hair again, I'm gonna make a comment, well, at least we'll be able to see you in a crowd, it's not conscious either, like, she, like, there's scenes where Patty is like, I don't understand why I'm like this, you know, she, she cannot figure out, like, you know, just the fact that Angela is becoming her own person and not involving her directly in her change, Patty, I mean, like, I don't think she's even aware of how offended she is that her daughter is pushing her away. But the thing is that she understands that that it's a natural process of teenagerness that they they have to push away, that we have to become our own people. But like it's almost like Patty can't help herself. And like I I mean like I know I've had conversations where my mom is just she's just trying to share her experience or just trying to and like like it's like I don't even want to hear your experience. I just want to figure, this I just out. Want to figure it this out is myself. My freaking life. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite exchanges is um, when Angela is talking to her dad in the kitchen late one night. Patty's not around, and she's like, you know, mom's just always kind of picking them when she gets that look, and yeah. her <laughs> mouth goes all tense, and and he's like, you know, you should just go easier on her. You know, try yeah. and be a little nicer to mom. You know, she just wants you to be happy. She just wants everybody to be happy. And Angela goes, no, she doesn't. That's you. (laughs) You're the one who wants everybody to be happy. Well, I mean, it must be really challenging. I mean, like, I don't have my own kids, but that transition from being entirely responsible for, like, making sure they eat and they're fat and they wear clothes and that they are where they need to be to a situation where you don't have control over those things anymore, but you still want to help them be successful and all that, that must be really challenging, you know, to, to make that transition, you know, from these entirely dependent creatures to ones that in some cases don't want to see you at all. (laughs) But yeah, I love the, I love the family dynamics on this show. I also like, the, probably the third time I rewatched this, I just started to realize that uh, I was like really into Graham. Like, oh, <laughs> but the third time you watched yeah, it, not like when you not, were not when I was fifteen or anything <laughs> like that. No, that'd be weird. <laughs> <clears throat> but that's that's the thing is when you watch a show over time, like your relationship to the characters changes, and and you know things that 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 you found interesting the first time or you find different things different the third or fourth time. I continuously have that problem now. I'll be seeing a movie that I saw for the first time when I was a teenager and I'll realize that I'm now 10 years older than the main character yeah. that used to be like way older than, you know, that yeah. was Harrison Ford in his 30s. Or... <laughs> so 
so another thing that's interesting that I always forget about this episode is that there's this sort of Anne Frank connection. Yeah, yeah. Like they're studying the diary of Anne that's Frank right. in school. And um, she has that weird thing where there's like, Angela, what do you think about Anne Frank? <laughs> she was lucky. And yeah. And the teacher totally freaks out yeah. on her. Yeah. It's it's funny the way she explains it. I think she does a pretty good job of explaining it, which is that... It's like, I understand it yeah. as a viewer, but I don't think anybody in... Everybody else is looking at her like she's nuts. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, they... So, which is interesting, because the book they're reading, The Diary of Anne Frank, Anne Frank is very much alive. Yeah. What, I mean, it's it's her diary. It's and, her her thoughts. But her teacher's trying to say, no, you you need to look at her as a tragic figure. Yeah, like they were they are so interested in the fact that she perished, which I mean is important and vital to know. But but Angela's think, reading it like the diary of a teenage girl who's locked yeah, in a. It's very romantic in a, in to a be house with the boy. She yeah to share a secret with. with a boy that you have a crush on, and you know, so that's. And that's the thing is that just because someone died terribly doesn't mean that their life isn't worth celebrating and, 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 you know, maybe that it's more important to celebrate the fact that she lived and that she had this joy in her life than to focus so much on, you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't focus on the evil. <laughs> Does Angela think she's a tragic figure? There's obviously some kind well, of I mean, it's, identification yeah. going yeah. on. And then the, 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 the way the show is directed, too, is you have outright, like, you know, a close-up of Angela framed in the same yeah. way, like, dissolves into the cover shot of the book that yeah. Angela's looking at. She's, you know? like, looking up into yeah. the side, yeah. <laughs> so it's a touch. It's, a, it's definitely, it's there thematically, but... Um, yeah. So, so, and then I guess the final sort of act that we have is is things get a little too real for Angela. They're in the they're in the parking lot of this club that they're waiting for Tino to come. Let That's them a lot in. scarier scene than I remember. It's it. terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> um, I have a thirteen year old daughter. Yeah. And, two, and those guys are like in their twenties. Yeah, they look like they're twenty five or something like that. That's horrifying. Yeah. So Rayan is drunk. I think it's pretty clear that Rayan is drunk. So this is the first time that we see Rayan. Rayan's a very controversial, I mean, confrontational is what I'm trying to say. She's very assertive, confrontational type, and she's kind of like going to take the dare. Yeah. So I think she has, that's the one thing that Rayan seems to have throughout is she has this sort of self-destructive drive, you know, which like makes her do things that are audacious and exciting and, and and for Angela, who's looking to get outside of herself, is really attractive. But she puts them in this very dangerous situation for both of them, you know. And explain the situation just so for... so. Rayan is drunk, and she approaches the guys in the parking lot, and um, you know is kind of flirtatious with them. Um, so one of the guys, you know, immediately escalates the situation and and starts being really aggressively. Um, he like pushes her up against a car and well, even know. the first suggestion is, do you want to go for a ride with? Yeah, us? that's and right. And his friend is like, they look really young. Yeah, Isn't don't that do like it. Kidnapping yeah. or something. Yeah, let's go, man. Yeah. So, so essentially, it it escalates to the point where it looks like he's going to sexually assault her in the parking lot, like with people watching. Um, but Angela, I mean, like, 
she she's like, you know, at first she's like, finally something is happening. But then she says it's a little too real. But she actually ends up stepping up and saying, hey, you know, and escalating, getting it loud enough that he, they get the attention of the police that come and, and sort of finally get everything like his friend like as soon as Angela starts yelling his friend comes over and pulls him away and the police come and so I mean like props to Angela for feeling for you know stepping outside her initial sort of freeze response to actually you know prevent um you know something worse from happening um but I think the other interesting thing is like she gets a ride home from the police officer and um you know he perhaps unwisely <laughs> um, chooses not to take her up to the door. He lets her just go home and Angela comes home and she immediately goes in to see her mother. And like, it was like, it was too real. It was growing up too fast. She wants to go back to, you know, the safety that she has. But I didn't even interpret yeah. it that way. <laughs> she crumples up and, yeah. and cries in her mom's arms in mm-hmm. bed and yeah. wants to be a kid again, sort of. Yeah. So she wasn't ready for how real it got. Mm-hmm. But like, I, it kind of reminded me of this feeling that I've had a, a few times when I was that age is like when you're with someone who feels like they have more experience than you, like they're the same age, but they have, they've done more stuff or they have more bravado or whatever. And then like, and then suddenly you discovered that actually they don't know what they're doing any more than you do. And so you followed them into the situation that is going to, you know, could be dangerous for both of you. And, and like, it was because you thought that, that you mistook that bravado for experience and knowledge that would, you know, I don't know. It's not, (laughs) it's not that. Experience that's going to keep you safe. (laughs) You're still going into a dangerous situation. So isn't that a beautiful shot though, after, uh, after the cop drops her off and and he tells Brian Krakow to walk her inside <laughs> and they part outside mm-hmm. and it's that super long shot down the road with them as silhouettes, like really far apart the yeah. road. And she's kind of doing her gawky stepping sort of <laughs> weaving away sort of walk yeah. kind of thing. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. With uh, the REM song playing. That's right. Is that at the end? Yeah. I think so. Everybody hurts. Yeah. Sometimes. So they use that that music. That song gets used a whole lot in in this time period. It was also used memorably in a Daria episode. But in listening to the DVD commentary, they said when they made this, that wasn't a single yet. Ah, interesting. So it's it was by the time I think it aired. Yeah, it was probably now being played all the time. But like it was not already <laughs> a moment for what well, and all as kinds you of know that i mean like that that rem album is like my jam yeah you know we have it downstairs it's yeah. like the the one that has everybody hurts and and a bunch of other fantastic songs um that's like that's my thing yeah so <laughs> when i'm talking about nostalgic music that's what i listen to and then angela sees her dad talking to a woman so that's a weird thing yeah. because um was that, is that ever referenced ever again in the show? The fact that, I mean, it seems very clearly that he's like breaking up with somebody or... or I think they were just talking in that one. Okay, I don't know, but I'm, so, I'm sort of like, why is he doing this out? Like from a literal 
yeah. point of view. Why would he be meeting with his girlfriend or whatever right outside the house down the street? Well, I think it was, yeah, around the block. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I suspect it was because he would have, like, plausible deniability. Like, oh, we were just talking, you know, oh, she's a friend of Neil's. I gave her a ride home or something like that. So it didn't look like she was upset, like he was, like they were breaking up or something? I thought there was something about that interaction you see from afar where she's, like, gesturing or maybe I, 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 maybe I, I, I To me, it looked that. casual, but uh, I know. I thought there was some kind of In charged... a later episode, like, a couple episodes yeah. in, like, Angela's finds Graham on the phone late at night. Oh, that's right. Okay. I think it's, yeah, so... Interesting. And then you have the whole Howie Lowenthal things yeah, playing, playing out, out towards the end of the series, season, yeah. series and season. I think that it's actually kind of a really well done sort of midlife crisis for Graham. He has all sorts of things going on well, with him. Well, you didn't see this particular family yeah. dynamic very often um, with, you know, she's his boss. His yeah. Patty is his boss. He she never runs, did she with his her life. dad's printing company, yeah. I guess. And, and it's interesting because Angela's aware of like yeah. his missed, missed dreams. She says, yeah. I guess dad wanted, was supposed to go to cooking school and it never happened. And he ended up working for the printing company and he's still doing that and he's never gotten away. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that sets up everything you need to know about what he's going through yeah. throughout the course of the series. And how great is it that this show that's about this teenage girl also is going to look at her parents with such clarity about, like, people have their own arcs in this series, yeah. and there's not much time to do it in. There's really not. Well, and I also think that Patty represents, like, the, you know, the new, or at the time, new. I mean, like, we've been doing this for decades, but, like, the, she was... Like the first generation of of women that were in positions of leadership and high, I mean, like she kind of came to it through more traditional means. Like she essentially inherited the business from her father, but but it was sort of a new thing. I mean, not in the '90s, but like this sort of transition from the '70s through the '90s. But like she's, I don't know, the roles for women are changing and you have women in roles of leadership and, and, you know, you know, she can support the family while Graham figures himself out, you know, which like, I don't think was traditionally a thing, you know, much, you know, prior to the like eighties, <laughs> maybe, you know, it's, it's amazing how fast, things change from, from like the, from seventies until, until the nineties, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, it, it feels like we've had expen exponential growth since then. Although it, sometimes it feels like we're fighting the same sort of stuff that we were fighting in the nineties, you know, I don't know, especially with the, you know, the pandemic and, you know, I don't know, but <laughs> I don't know where it's going with that. I'm not sure. <laughs> So where else are we in our uh, segments for the okay. week? Well, we, we, we talked a little bit about the music, um, R.E.M., of course. Um, we'll try to talk a little bit about the music. What was the other... I think Jordan was watching a music video in the scene where Angela... Oh, he's watching Divinals, I Touch Myself. That's right. <laughs> which is a really awkward song to be uh, playing when you walk in 
and get stuck in a room with your crush for the first and time. That's one their on first one. conversation, I think, is that that I that I know about at least on the show is that she comes in kind of covered in mud, and he's like, "This doesn't feel like a Friday," and she's like, "That's because it's Thursday." <laughs> And then he asks, how do you know? Or something yeah. like that. So she goes off on this whole tangent it's about... It's like such a non-conversation. <laughs> it's like not a real conversation. But he knows who she is at the end. Do you remember yeah. the moment of joy when, yeah. when he sees them as the cops are putting them into the car? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, smile, looks at her, stops, points, smiles, and says, yeah. hey, I know that girl. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because when she runs into her at school at the end... He, he says, like, oh, out on parole or something yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, the music on the show is really good. Like, I still listen to a lot of the music that, I mean, like, weird music that, like, um, you know, I think Buffalo Tom is one of the bands that they mention in there, which is a, a real band. Um, but there's there's some music that's get used in the dance when we get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to discussing all that because it's... Um, it's because of its use in the show became music that is important to me. I like how the house yeah. party they go to has a full on like band. So that's one th- we we discussed this briefly, but I've never been to a party like that. Like ever, ever in my life. Have I ever been to a party where like there's a band and everybody's dancing around like crazy and all of that. So, but you were like, I've been to parties like that. So I've been to, well, I've been to, a party that was just like that, except for the band part. I mean, yeah. it was that crowded. It had loud, loud music. I mean, like the house parties like that were like, but that was in college. Yeah, like, I remember going to a party okay. that looked just like that. I just in San Diego. So I've I've been to a few parties, but I've never been to one where there's like an area where people are dancing to the music, and an area where you know it's I, I don't know. I've never been to a house party like that. So the band is Animal Bag. <laughs> yeah. Animal Apparently bag. they they um they held auditions to try and find what would be the band playing. That's who they selected. It sounded like a '90s backyard band. Yeah, yeah, they were sort of like I don't know. They fit into that time period of like Chili Peppers and uh... yeah, they did sound kind of Chili Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've come to the time um, towards the end of our episode. I want to do some brief updates on some of the major characters. So, where are we with the Catalano crush? An update on the Catalano crush. This is the beginning of it's all things. The beginning, yes. But they've they make contact. Yes. It they goes did. from so notice that in the course of this single episode, it goes from the longing of watching him leaning mm-hmm. and seeing, looking, looking at, at him, looking at him, <laughs> lean and, and admiring him from afar, for um, and then. Rayanne and company starting to engineer things where they might run into each other. Oh, let's go to Let's Bolt. Jordan's going to be there at the party. I forget. Is Jordan supposed to be at both things? Uh, I think so, because See, they have a Jordan comedy. goes yeah. where Tino goes, I believe. So Yes. <laughs> but by the end of the show, she's had a co- an actual conversation with him. Yes, that's She would right. call it an actual conversation. She's spoken yeah. to him. Um, is this the episode where it's like, do you want to have sex with Jordan Catalano? Tell me, Angela. And then she's like, well, sex or a conversation, preferably yeah. both. <laughs> That's in the beginning of the yeah, show. Yeah, I think so. so you have... <laughs> yeah, Rayanne just kind of, she puts it all out there. <laughs> and by the yeah, she's able to voice the things that, she has no filter. Yeah. 
And then by the end, he knows who she is. He smiles at her. He knows her name. Yeah. He says, hey, Angela, I think, either at the, when he sees her getting in the police car or at school the next the next day. I think it, when she's getting in the police car, he says, hey, I know that girl. <laughs> but he calls her by her name at the end. At the end of the show. And so she went from it being completely in her head to she's on his radar and he knows her name by the end. So that's yeah. where we are at the Catalano crush. Well, and I think that that has to do with that Rayanne is so well known that people that hang out with Rayanne, that, that people in Jordan's crowd know the yeah. people who hang out with Rayanne. She's a connector. So speaking of Ray antics, <laughs> so so my favorite thing, my favorite Ray antic this week is that she ate all of Patty's cheese. <laughs> I love that scene, yeah. <laughs> and she, I just love. And she's Patty's like complaining this is, about it later in the yeah. episode. <laughs> she's like, "This is good cheese," and it appears to just be like block medium cheddar like cheese. She ate the whole, whole block of cheese. <laughs> now who does that? <laughs> Someone who probably is high, I would guess, <laughs> that would eat an entire block of cheese. I don't have a specific Rayantic. <laughs> I forgot to note anything. I just want to say that Rayanne is an amazing fairy spirit animal. I, I always, like for some reason, the word that comes, I always think of her as kind of Muppet-like and yeah. something about the physicality of, of the actress. Yeah. Um, AJ Langer, is that her yeah. name? Yeah. She's very floppy. She's like a countess and now or something. <laughs> yeah, she married into aristocracy or yeah. something. Or Baroness, maybe? I can't I remember. No. Yeah. Um Well, she also the other big thing that gets things going is that she she flirting with those guys in the parking lot. So this is the first dangerous taste, taste uh, we get of how self-destructive that Rayanne can be. And mm-hmm. you know, it escalates over time, but just to know how serious it is from oh, the beginning. And we you know, see the alcohol planted early yeah. on too. We see like the the whiskey or the bourbon or whatever that they're passing in the yeah. the alley outside Let's Bolt. So yeah. the alcohol's gonna be a big thing. Yeah. 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 She's she's a, a darker <laughs> side for Angela, a different kind of friend than Sharon. So, and and where's Tino? <laughs> is that like where's Waldo? Where's Tino? So Tino is a friend of Jordan's, we think. Um, up until yesterday, I thought he was Ricky's cousin, but apparently Ricky's cousin is someone entirely different. Um, yeah, no, Tino's just, he's a mutual friend of, from what I can tell, he's a mutual friend of Rayanne and Jordan. Because yeah. they always, they each talk about they're doing stuff with Tino. That's right. Tino's an in-joke. Tino's like waiting for Godot. You never see Tino. They just started name-dropping <laughs> Tino in every single episode. There's like a Tino reference. Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever seems to be able to catch up with Tino. He's never on screen. Yeah, he's... So, so this time, the is it the series' first reference to Tino is um, going to Let's Bolt. Let's, He's going to get gonna them go into to, Let's Bolt. There's a rave Bolt. at Let's Bolt. Tino can totally get us in. Yeah. <laughs> but Tino never shows up. He never, Tino, he never shows up, really. Tino never shows up. He's yeah. also, um, is he the singer in Jordan's band? Yeah, Frozen Embryos. But he leaves. Yeah. So we never even see him rehearsing. There no, was, no. They never cast a Tino. Yeah, there was, there was an argument. And... <laughs> it's like I was listening to the, on the commentary of the director of this pilot and um, Winnie Holtzman were arguing about Tino. They were like, well, Tino doesn't actually exist. And then she said, yes, he exists. We just don't ever see him. Yeah. He totally exists. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I feel like Ricky knows him too. You know, it's... I think Tino's like yeah. a male Rayanne in that everybody yeah. knows him. Like he yeah. like f- f- freely floats through those different circles. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
I think he may be older too. Maybe, maybe. like maybe he's not in high school anymore. Oh, I don't know. Do they mention him in the context of high school? Always, I don't. Or is I he think always he's always outside? outside of high school. So huh. maybe he's like in his twenties or something like that. Oh. Just like a. So we're going to keep track of Tino on this podcast if we can. We'll see what else we can learn about. So Maybe T- we can actually create by the end a composite portrait of who we think Tino is at the end of this rewatch. That's right. Based on the, the clues we get along the way. So he's not at Let's, Let's Bolt. That's what we... No. That Tino is not at Let's Bolt. Which is how they get into trouble with those guys <laughs> in the parking lot. All right. So to sort of complete today's episode, I, I wanted to have us like do a like a personal ranking system. I don't, this is not a number. This is not a, just like how you feel about this episode in comparison to other episodes in the series. Um, so I realize it's a little challenging to do this with the first episode. <laughs> so this is not going to be like, this is number 18 on my list or whatever. It's just like how I, can't I do that. feel. I don't know the show yeah. that well. So I, I like this episode. It's not, like, one of my favorites. Like, I think that's pretty much how I'm going to rank it, is whether it's one of my favorites or not. I think it's it's an excellent introduction to all the characters in the show, but, and it gives us something to sort of sink our teeth into, but I, like, as far as, like, memorable episodes that I keep with me, it just isn't one of those for me. It's, it's it's a taste of what's to come, but it's not um, the real meat and potatoes, per se. <laughs> yeah, I think you know the show better than I do. Yeah. So i I thought it was I thought it was great. I'd be like, so I'm probably more like I think it's like an eight out of ten. Yeah, so yeah. Like I have to go for something, even if it's my own ranking yeah. system. I I'm impressed. I was impressed at how well written, how well structured it is. How many amazing, like the voice, Angela's voiceover in this, all of the, how it captures her voice and her observations. They're so funny. They're so profound in a weird way. And then it's so well directed in terms of the camera just really creating space for Angela to be, for us to be in her head. Yeah. And um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was. If there had never been any more, it's like a great short film that yeah. that a- absolutely captures this girl's life and her world. So yeah, I think I'm kind of in a it's it's really good television. It's a it's, good pilot. It's a good pilot. It's one of the best pilots <laughs> I know. Um, but I also think I probably don't remember specific episodes of the rest of the show enough to to feel like. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I think it's damn good. Yeah, one thing that um, you're speaking of the camera work, and um, it reminds me that 30-something has the same sort of, I don't know, there's like, it's a warmth and muted colors. 30-something looks exactly the same way. And like, initially when I saw it, I thought it was like a symptom of how you shot things during that time. But now my experience is that it was a choice to have this, especially at Angela's house. There's this like muted color palette, this very warm feeling. So There's lots of browns. Part of what you're responding to yeah. is I was listening to the director on the commentary for this episode. And he said he took the, he took the indoor filter off for the high school scenes so that the high school scenes looked kind of washed out yeah. and more on a blue 
mm-hmm. kind of range because you weren't balancing to the actual light situation. You weren't yeah. getting an accurate yeah. what your eye saw. You were getting this unfiltered, you yeah. know, the, <laughs> but but like the filters are on and you're getting the whole range of color and light in in their house and stuff yeah. like that. So well, that should also, look more natural and yeah. the school looks more gray and blue, I think. Yeah. Well, the other thing is it has this sort of like overexposed mm-hmm. quality to it, you know, it's, which I mean, like to me reads as n- instant nostalgia, that sort of like overexposed. I don't know if that's just a thing about me growing up with like photography and snapshots and sort of thing, but that sort of like inaccurately exposed film to me is like nostalgia just instantly it communicates but this that is to not me. the same kind of nostalgia yeah. as the wonder years was no no a no. few years before yeah. this <laughs> no that's that's uh well as the theme song says that's kodachrome in fact <laughs> this is nostalgia because we're looking back at this show exactly in the 90s exactly. i don't think it felt like nostalgia for me it didn't feel like nostalgia yeah. at the time like it felt I don't know. It just always, it was always weird to me, the sort of muted color. It's a, it's, I noticed it at Sharon's house, but also in Angela's house, that sort of, sort of mute, where the whites aren't quite white. I don't know. And everything looks a little washed out. I don't know. Interesting. All right. All right. So that's it for our covering the pilot episode on our first of 19 shows. Yes. Devoted to my so-called life. And we'll be back with the next episode. Uh, Dancing in the Dark. Dancing in the Dark, episode number two. Yes. Join us again for that one. Bye. Bye. And uh, that last that last little bit's a lie because we won't be back next time with more of the My So Called Life podcast. We don't have any immediate plans to do the rest of this show, but. I'm happy that we got to give you a little taste of this because I I had fun listening back to it. Um, and I've also had fun recently rewatching my so-called life. Um, but next time we will be back with a regular episode of Shut Up and Watch This. But you know what? If you liked this, if, uh, if you have any comments or feedback um, of any kind or any enthusiasm for this particular project, I think that will uh, help persuade us to, to uh, make it happen. I mean, there's only 17 more episodes to go, right? I mean, that's that's totally doable. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next time with more. And uh, it'll be Ashley's turn to choose. Bye. <laughs>